0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. We come to Isaiah 40. I said this is one of my favorite chapters in scripture. You'll probably see why. Several songs from Handel's Messiah are taken from various parts of this chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. It's been a favorite of God's people for centuries. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. All of your word is wonderful. And there are some chapters that are close to our hearts because of ways that they encourage us and strengthen us in particular ways. We pray that you would be at work faithfully today to take Isaiah 40 and weave it into our hearts and souls and minds and lives that it might strengthen and encourage us with the truth that we might live before you with faith and patience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice. Cries In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become plain, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of knowledge or showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not be sufficient for fuel, nor are its beasts Enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing. And makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them. And they wither. And the tempest carries them off. Like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him heard. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's Isaiah 40. I'm sure you recognize verses in there, or maybe this is already one of your favorite chapters in Scripture. It's written to comfort God's people when they are in severe distress because of the oppression of nations around them. And so God's people at this time are in distress and they need assurance from God that he's in control and that they're being cared for by him and that these nations that oppress them and terrorize them are not going to have the last word. And so most faithful biblical scholars believe that this was written sometime later in Isaiah's ministry written for future generations, perhaps, perhaps immediately after he says the sobering word that he says to Hezekiah that we looked at yesterday, that the Babylonians are going to come and take everything Perhaps at that point, God begins to give him words of comfort for those who would experience that. Now, unfaithful Bible scholars say this actually starts a whole different book called Deutero Isaiah written by some other prophet hundreds of years later. We don't believe that. We believe the whole thing is written by Isaiah. Parts from early in Isaiah and later in Isaiah are both quoted in the New Testament as being from the prophet Isaiah. and So this is all written by Isaiah, and this is written for future generations who are suffering under the Babylonian exile. But even though this was given through Isaiah for these later generations that would suffer in the Babylonian exile, they are words that have brought comfort to God's people for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Handel, when he wrote the Messiah, he drew on several of these uh, verses within this chapter for several of, of the best known pieces in that masterful uh, oratorio. And it's just, it's just a great word. It's a great word of comfort. Um, it reminds us of of God and who God is and who we are. It brings us perspective that we need on life every day. So this is one of those chapters, Isaiah 40 and, and Romans 8 and, and some of the Psalms and, and some of the chapters in John's gospel and others that just are good to come back to again and again and get our our, our focus straight right and the beginning is a word of comfort comfort my people says your god why is it that we can be comforted ultimately ultimately our warfare against god because we are by nature rebels who are guilty of treason and attempted insurrection against the king of the universe what is it that makes our warfare ended and our iniquity pardoned when is it that we received from the lord's hand double for all our sins. Ultimately, that is Jesus. His death on the cross is that which brings peace. He made peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so verse 3 and 4 talks about um, John the Baptist and his role as the forerunner. He goes before Jesus. He prepares the way. John identified himself as being the fulfillment of these verses. He says, I am the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's me, John says. And so with John coming, we know that comfort is coming. We know that peace and forgiveness is coming, and John is coming to prepare the way. And when Jesus came into the world, we saw, the world saw, eyewitnesses beheld the glory of the Lord, as he taught with wisdom far surpassing anyone else, as he did miracles that no one had ever done before or ever since, as he ultimately died and rose again and conquered sin and death forever according to the word of the Lord. God prophesied, God sent, Christ fulfilled, it was accomplished. And here's what we're reminded in verses 6 through 8, that all people... All mere mortals, whether they are King Nebuchadnezzar or King Hezekiah or whoever, they are just grass. They are just, whatever beauty they have is like the flower of the field. God gives it for a little bit of time, but when the breath of the Lord blows on it, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. So what we should be focused on, what we should be trusting in, what we should be studying, memorizing, seeking to live out is the word of our God and not living by the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare because man is weak and man is temporary and man's glory is fading quickly. But the word of our God will stand forever. And so, again, this is all about ultimately the coming of Jesus into the world. So get up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That's Jesus. Jesus, when he came to the cities of Judah, when he came into Galilee and Nazareth and and Bethsaida, and then when he went down into the hill country around Jerusalem and he ministered, God was saying, This is me. I'm coming into your midst. Behold, the Lord God comes. And he comes with with an arm that rules mightily, rules over the storm to calm it, rules over the food to multiply it, rules over the demons to banish them, rules over sickness to cure it, rules over death to defeat it. He rules. And he tends his flock like a shepherd. You see, the one who is strong, the one who is mighty, the one whose word can do anything is the one who takes us weak, helpless lambs and carries us in his bosom, carries us close to his heart, leads those that are with young, is patient, is tender, is compassionate. And this is our hope. If, if God was only strong and only powerful, but not tender and compassionate and tending his flock like a shepherd, we could say, well, yeah, he's mighty, but does he care about me? And if he was only tender and compassionate and only cared about us, but wasn't strong and mighty, we might say, yeah, he cares, but can he really do anything about it? He is the God who is mighty and merciful, who is powerful and compassionate, who is terrifying in his fury and tender. In his care for his people how great is our God he's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand all the oceans of the earth the depths of the Pacific Ocean the vast quantity of the earth God measures it in the hollow of his hand he marks off the heavens with a span a span is from your thumb tip to your fingertip and God measures out the heavens billions of galaxies spread across billions of light years and God measures it all with a span all of the dust of the earth, all of the dirt, all of the matter, the material in the world, God just can enclose it in a measure, or he can weigh the mountains in scales. These are, of course, metaphors. These are, these are imagery, but it's to sell us. God is not panicking because the Babylonians have come to town. God is not panicking over the outcome of the next presidential election. I, it bugs me that every election cycle of my adult life, voices have come along trying to panic the people of god over the outcome of the next presidential election god is not in a panic and we need to trust in him he is the one who rules over the nations and so god god is not only that powerful but he's also wise who has measured the spirit of the lord what man chose him as counsel whom did he consult who made him understand Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? No one, in other words. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one. There's no one who can compete with God in power. There's no one who can compete with God in wisdom. All the nations of the earth are just like a drop in a bucket, or drop from a bucket, dust on the scales. It's like insignificant to God. The united power of all the nations on all the earth are insignificant. If we were to try to appease God, if we were to say we want to appease God by sacrifice, because that's the pagan mindset. Pagan mindset is the gods are angry, you have to appease them by sacrifice. God is so great, God is so holy, God is so just that even if you burned all the forests of Lebanon and slaughtered all of their beasts, it would not be enough to appease his wrath, which is showing us that only Jesus, the Son of God, whose wealth, whose worth is infinite, Whose, whose value is beyond all of the heavens and the earth. Only Jesus, the Son of God, could offer up a sacrifice sufficient to satisfy divine justice and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing we give. See, we need to stop thinking that somehow we can give God something that's going to put him in our debt. Lord, if you get me out of this trouble, I promise you I'm going to go to church every week. I promise you I'm going to give the full tithe. And not hold anything back. I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. Stop focusing on what you're promising God and focus on what God has promised you and what God has fulfilled in Christ so that you can simply stand in awe of Him and realize there is no one like Him. There's no one like God. There's nothing that can compare to Him. Anything we make with our hands is just made with our hands. And if all the nations of the earth are just dust on the scales, nothing we make with our hands really matters in the scope of eternity compared to God. We can't use it to bribe God or pressure God. God is God, and there is no one like him. But listen here. The God who rules over everything the God who sits above the circle of the earth and all of its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, the God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, the God who brings princes to nothing, the God who makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness is the God who is also the tender shepherd that carries his lambs close to his heart and who is for us and who is with us. We need to stand in awe of him, in utter, complete awe at the greatness at the majesty at the power at the incomparability of God to whom will you compare me that i should be like him no one he's incomparable he takes care of the stars go out on a cloudless moonless night you know the new moon you know there's not the big full moon shining go out on a cloudless moonless night and look at the stars And realize that he calls them all by name. and Because of his might, not one is missing. And so why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right disregarded by my God? The God who takes care of the stars, will he not take care of his own people? Whom he made in his image, whom he redeemed by his son, whom he called by his will, whom he gave his word. Will he forget us? No. He's not disregarding us. He's not faint. He's not weary. He's he's giving us power. He's giving us strength as we wait on him, as we wait in faith. This past Sunday, that was the sermon in the morning, was waiting in faith. As we wait in faith on the Lord, he renews our strength. He increases our strength. He gives power to us when we are faint. When we focus on him, when we wait for him, we are renewed. No one else can do for our souls what God and God alone can. Not distraction by watching Netflix or Disney Plus or binge watching whatever series you're into. No food or diet, no exercise plan, no vacation, no busyness. God can renew and restore as we draw near to Him, as we abide in His presence, as we rest and wait for Him. He's so great. He's so great and He's so good. Let's trust Him. Let's wait for Him. Let's pray. Father, Forgive us for turning too quickly to the things of this world where we think we might find satisfaction, but we never do. Help us to learn the lesson that you've painted for us so brilliantly here in Isaiah 40, that you're the great one. You're the one beyond compare. You're the eternal, strong, holy, knowledgeable, wise, compassionate one. May we seek you and trust you and dwell in you and walk with you, and grow in you. Day by day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that is Isaiah 40. Tomorrow we're going back to Daniel, and I do hope that this focus, this this perspective check, has blessed your heart. Have a blessed day in the Lord.